Well, great. Uh, good to be here together with all of you and with you, Marissa and Adrian. And as you've been hearing, this series, The Gospel and Mental Health, and in today in particular, how is the gospel, how does the Lord help us with anxiety? We're going to hear all about that and reflect on that. So I'm so glad to have both of you with us. I know in, in most of your day-to-day life, you're not sitting on stages with bright lights, but you're probably one-on-one with people. Uh, so I'm so thankful you could to take the time. I would like to, just to give you the chance each to introduce yourselves before we get started. So maybe I'll start with you, Adrian. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Um, so as, as Mike mentioned, my name is Adrian, and um, um, I, am a, um, I have a PhD in clinical psychology, and um, I did my training out in the East Coast, and uh, I, um, I came out to Vancouver because my one-year residency at the UBC Hospital, and uh, since we've been here, we thought this is a fantastic place to stay because it's the only place in Canada that doesn't really snow in the winter. <laughs> so we've been here ever since. Um, I'm also a certified cognitive behavioral therapist. CBT is a form of treatment approach that's uh, being sh- uh, shown through evidence to be um, helpful for a range of mental health challenges, uh, one of which is anxiety disorders. Um, and um, so I've been practicing uh, for about 15 years, um, and I specialize working specifically with adults uh, in the area of anxiety. Thank you. Marissa. Good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, so I know some of you. My name's Marissa. Um, I am just starting out in the field of counseling psychology. I just graduated with my master's um, from Trinity a few weekends ago, so... Um, my, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, my background before kind of my step into grad school in this realm is in campus ministry. So that's where I've been kind of living and working the past, honestly, the past decade of my life. It feels like a big chunk. Um, and there is where I got to see um, outside of kind of family and friends, like what mental health struggles looked like in a real way. And um, anxiety was really prevalent in a lot of the people that I was uh, mentoring and getting to know. Um, so that is part of what kind of drew me to this field, to get more training, to um, gain the skills to help those um, who are struggling in this way. So um, yeah, I'm excited to kind of go into the field and be able to meet with people one-on-one, um, and excited to be with you here all today um, and share a little bit more. So good. Yeah, you, you both worship with us each week, and now we get a chance to benefit from all this knowledge you bring to us. Uh, so I want to start with you, Adrian, and I uh, want to ask you um, if you can briefly share about anxiety, both from a clinical and non-clinical sense from your field. Okay. Um, so what is anxiety? Foremost and um, uh, most importantly, it's a human emotion that we all experience. Um, it's like our body's natural alarm system that's building to alert us to danger. And, um, um, sorry, I'm not a little bit, (laughs) I'm trying to get used to uh, where I am. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, um, and it's a full system response. It affects uh, how we think and uh, how the body feels and uh, what we do. And um, so with the anxiety, um, it affects how we think. So if you, 
Um, you can see on this slide there, um, um, the next one. So one way to think about our mind is that it's a don't get eaten machine. It cares most about our survival, whatever that means for each one of us. And uh, so as part of that survival response, it's going to go to that worst case scenario when it encounters what it perceives to be dangerous. And um, um, so imagine if a truck is coming at me you probably don't want me to think, eh, I'm probably just going to get a scratch. No big deal. You would rather that I think I'm going to die. So it's going to mobilize me to do something. So this worst case scenario is going to be very effective in helping to increase our chance of survival. And another part of helping us to increase our chance of survival is to become hyper-focused on the sense of threat. So, um, and we call that attentional bias. Truck coming at me, not a good time to admire the flowers on the sidewalk. And uh, so, but what if there is no physical truck that we can see, but it's a quote-unquote mental truck, a exam that's coming up, a job interview, or a social situation? Um, it doesn't matter to the mind. It's going to do the worst case scenario, and it's going to become hyper-focused on that threat. And so our mind is just going to spin around and around it until the threat has subsided. And then what's not going to feel like subjectively would be the worrying and the rumination, and we're going to have a hard time concentrating. Now, if a truck is coming at me, you imagine that my body is going to go through all these changes to gear me up in response to that threat. And so what that means is that my heart might race and I might shake a little bit, my muscles are going to be tense, and then we call that the adrenaline response. And we're going to experience any one of these symptoms, even if we're just perceived that there is a threat. Again, for the mind and body, it doesn't really matter whether it's something that you can see or it's something that your mind thinks to be threatening. And when we experience multiple of these symptoms all at once in an intense, sudden kind of way, we call that a panic attack. So when the mind perceives that it's really dangerous and, uh, and our body feels really alarmed, and that is going to affect how we want to respond to that situation. So it's a famous fight, flight, or freeze response. And the fight response can come out in kind of irritability, snappiness, especially with people that we're closest to. And the freeze response can come in the form of avoidance. Um, so for example, I have a little bit of a fear of uh, public speaking. When Mike asked me to do this, it took me a minute. I really thought, maybe I can just avoid this. It's okay if I don't do this, but Lord told me otherwise. Um, and um, in addition to avoidance, we may also engage in safety behaviors. And then, so these are the things that we do to feel a bit safer. So for example, checking things, 
seeking reassurances. Um, those are all common safety behaviors that we may do. And as for the freeze response, it can be a momentary, like deer in the headlight kind of response that the mind just suddenly goes blank. Or um, if we experience anxiety in a more prolonged kind of way, we may feel overwhelmed and then we start to experience more of a sh pervasive shutting down response. And so what um, that can show up maybe in terms of depressive symptoms. And that's why anxiety and depression are so often comorbid, meaning that they can often coexist together for a person. Um, so... When is anxiety a problem then? Anxiety becomes a problem when this internal alarm system becomes overly active, just like our smoke alarm system. Um, we need it, it's necessary, but if it's going off every time we burn something, it's becoming problematic. Um, because anxiety, as you can see from previous slide, that it's a full system response. It takes a lot of energy. So if we are constantly experiencing that this kind of full response, um, um, it can really interfere with our enjoyment of life and or uh, impairing our functioning in some way. Um, of course, diagnosis of an anxiety disorder is a little bit complex, so, um, so I have many fears. I, I'm also a little bit afraid of cockroaches. And I imagine that this fear gets really big and uh, it prevents me from going to Hawaii. Then um, it's a problem. Living in Vancouver, not so much. Um, so... How frequently is, are the anxiety symptoms showing up? How severe, how long it's been lasting are all part of what helps us to know whether anxiety be, go from kind of more within the normal range to something that uh, we would consider clinical. Um, yeah, so um, in terms of how common then, um, it's extremely common. It affects one in four people in our lifetime. And um, um, so I'm not going to go into all these different types of anxiety disorders, but um, there are many different types of anxiety disorders. And um, um, it's very well studied. And um, um, one of the main things I want to communicate here is that um, it's quite prevalent. Um, and uh, it tend to start fairly young. Um, and, um, but it can really occur, the age of onset can really happen at any age. Um, but many of them, as you can see, uh, start in the childhood or teenage years. Um, so the reason that you see a little bit of a chunking in different kind of anxiety disorders is because uh, OCD and the PTSD used to be considered part of the anxiety disorders in the diagnostic criteria. Now they're in their own categories uh, due to the complexity of these challenges. Um, separation anxiety disorder used to be considered a childhood-only anxiety disorder, but now it's um, uh, something that an adult can also be diagnosed with. Um, 
Yeah, so that's kind of, um, you know, one takeaway is that it's just extremely common to experience um, an anxiety disorder. Um, and uh, Marissa, maybe? The, the, yes, I just really appreciate, I mean, from your years of study, this level of expertise, there's so much knowledge, and yet I think I hear you saying it's common. We will, if you've ever felt anxiety or, or suffered clinical anxiety, you are in a, a vast array. It is so common, and that's part of what we want to do here this morning is saying, welcome, uh, we can talk about it, and there is hope. I think I heard you speaking about that. Thank you, Adrian, for that. So, um, Marissa, I wanted to turn for you to a moment and ask, so if someone doesn't have clinical-level anxiety but nonetheless suffers from this, the various effects of our whole body going into alarm, what can they do? Yeah, um, so I'm sure all of us can relate to kind of the feeling of overwhelm, of heaviness, of maybe even kind of that suffocation deer in the headlights response. Um, So I just want to touch on a few different things that we can do on our own um, to manage this anxiety when we notice it showing up in our lives. Um, And so the first slide, I realize there's kind of a lot of text there, um, but I included that. So if this is something that you struggle with, you can take pictures, you can remind yourself um, some of the steps to go through when you notice this coming up. Um, But I think the big takeaway I want to encourage all of us here is to not um, get into a battle with our anxiety, not um, fight our anxiety, but actually gently and with compassion turn towards it as a part of our experience, um, as a part of our normal human experience. Um, So the first thing you might want to ask yourself, because anxiety is this smoke alarm, um, you can ask yourself what emotions might be actually underneath that. Um, and often with anxiety, it is some sort of a fear, right? Um, so then you want to ask yourself, is this fear um, necessary in the moment? Am I actually in danger? Adrian talked about a truck like running towards you, right? If there is a fear for your life, you need to activate, and that fear is going to help you do so. Um, but if you are not in immediate danger then what you want to try to do is remind yourself through using your body, through using your environment, that you are safe. So this might mean taking a big, deep breath. When you are facing a threat, that's not what you're going to be doing. You're going to be jumping to action. So you can use your body to slow things down, to trigger to your brain, to trigger to your um, nervous system that you are safe. You might want to um, just gently tell yourself something like, this is anxiety, it will pass. Um, I am safe. You can talk to yourself gently. Um, You can even touch yourself, hug yourself, remind yourself, feeling your feet on the floor, noticing your surroundings. Um, There's a technique we have in therapy that's easy to remember. It's called 54321, and that's to ground you through your senses. So you look around and you remind yourself of five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can touch, right? That might be the ground, the chair holding you up, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. And that brings you back into the moment, away from the the what-ifs of anxiety. 
Um, another thing that can be really helpful because there's a lot of energy with the physiological response of anxiety is to move through that energy, to complete the stress cycle. That might mean going for a walk. Um, for me, I like doing chores. Like I do dishes like a mad woman when I'm anxious. Um, and so you can do something physical to move that energy through you. Um, and, and then after that kind of heightened response has left, I just want to encourage all of us to accept and make space for the emotions that are underneath, right? There might be sadness there. There might be shame, disappointment. Um, you can notice where they are in your body. That's very much a, a therapy term. But our emotions are physiological, and they show up maybe in our chest in the tightness there or in the the pit in our stomach. We can notice those things. Um, we can connect them to the emotions that we're feeling. Um, and we can get curious about what they're communicating to us because our emotions are there to communicate, right? Our fear, our sadness, our um, disappointment, it communicates what's important to us. Um, and so that's something to pay attention to um, and brings you kind of back down to a place of um, neutral, if we can use that term, yeah. Um, and so just going to the next slide, um, one other thing that can be really helpful with anxiety um, when we're out of that kind of heightened place is building in practices into our life to challenge our unhelpful thinking. Um, so this slide with the A, B, and C, um, the idea here is that something might happen that's an activating event, right? Maybe it's an invitation to public speak, right? Um, and that's going to cause a consequence, some sort of feeling in us, some sort of response in our body, maybe a choice that we make, behaviors. Um, the idea here is that we can slow down and get curious around the B, and that's our thinking and our beliefs, our assumptions around what's going on. So you can ask yourself, what was I thinking in that moment that something activated my anxiety? What was I telling myself? Um, what was I telling myself about me? Maybe it's that um, people are going to judge me or think that I'm not competent if I don't say yes to this. Um, what's it telling me about others? Other people might hate me or something like that. Um, and you can get curious around why that's bad. You can get deeper and deeper into kind of what the roots of this anxiety are for you. Um, and as we get better and better at acknowledging kind of the, the belief patterns and the thinking patterns that lead to anxiety we can then move to kind of the response to that, which brings in the D and the E. And that's where we want to start to um, dispute the anxious thinking. We want to look for evidence against it, right? We can ask ourselves, is there another way to look at what's going on here? What if it all worked out? We often go to those worst case scenarios, right? What if um, my landlord sold their house and we had to move and we couldn't afford another one and we ended up homeless on the street? Um, that's a really anxiety provoking kind of thought pattern. But what if it all worked out, right? Um, when my husband and I just got married, um, about a week before we got married, we lost the place that we were going to be living into because we discovered mold in the place, and that was a very stressful time. Um, and I was going to all those, like, what ifs? What if this doesn't work out? What if we have to move into, my worst case scenario was, what if we have to move into my in-laws once we get, <laughs> get married? Um, and I was stressed. This was a week before our, our wedding. Um, so all of those responses were coming up for me. Um, and in retrospect, it did work out. We, we found another place that we loved, that we stayed in for over a year. 
Um, and so all that anxiety and that worst case thinking, um, in a way, it, I could have avoided it, right? If I had just focused on kind of activating myself into looking for a new place because it did work out. Um, so yeah, I think that there's a way that we can kind of dispute and challenge and look for evidence, and that's where we can bring in as well our Christian faith, which we'll get to a bit later, um, to end in the E, which is a more balanced thought um, that tells us a different story about what's going on, maybe a different story about ourselves, And maybe that's even that hard things do happen, and I don't have a place to live right now, but I know that I'm capable of finding one. Right. Or if I do have to move in with my in-laws, it's probably not going to be the worst thing in the world. Um, and you can change your stories and your narratives around that. And by doing that, you can change your anxiety. You can impact it over the long term. Um, and so kind of as we go into the next section, I do want to say these are tips that can be helpful, um, but they're not going to change things overnight. Right? They're, they're practices that over time being turned to in these moments of anxiety will start to change the networks in our brains um, and bring us to a different place where we're not kind of on the trigger of jumping to worst case scenarios every time a potential threat um, comes up. Thanks. So practical and so relatable. Um, Adrian, I wanted to again turn to you. You spoke to us a little bit uh, in our preparation about exposure therapy. Is that something you wanted to touch on today? Yeah, I, I certainly can. Um, so, um, just you know, reiterate a number of things Mar Marissa said that you know it's important that. No matter how long we've been struggling with anxiety, it's important to recognize that it's not a character flaw. And um, um, it doesn't mean that we're weak or neurotic or um, flawed in some way. Uh, we're not our emotions. And, um, and, um, and that um, 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 it's important not to struggle with our feelings. Um, there's a huge number of um, um, literature called the white bear. And uh, essentially what they did was to research, well, how well can we not think about something? Um, and uh, and uh, it turned out that we're really bad at it. The more we try to resist a thought or feeling, they, the more they tend to persist. That's why the most common advice we hear about don't worry, don't feel anxious, doesn't tend to work. Um, even though it's such popular advice, I, I heard it all throughout my life. <laughs> um, and uh, so um, what we want to do then uh, is to control what's the controllable, which is our behaviors. It's part of the somatic system, which we, we can make choice conscious choice over. Not to say that it's easy. So being compassionate with ourselves and offering the compassion that um, God gives us is really important part of this process as we try to face what's dangerous. And uh, in CBT, we call that exposure therapy. It's just a way of gradually um, changing ways of doing things that may not be the most helpful to us. So coming back to my cockroach fear. Um, in Vancouver, really not diagnosable because it's not interfering with my life. But if I live in Hawaii, 
it's going to probably show up in inconvenient ways. Um, and, um, and so I cannot just stay home and not go anywhere. I have to get myself out of the house. But it depends on how scared I am. The way in which I approach my fear will have to modulate it accordingly. And let's assume for a moment I'm really terrified of cockroaches. It's not going to help me to put me in a room full of cockroaches. I will have full-blown panic attacks and never want to face cockroaches again. And so um, I might be someone who needs to just start with uh, seeing a picture of cockroaches or watch them on YouTube and gradually expose myself to that. And uh, part of the exposure so needs to be gradual and it needs to be planned. Um, and it needs to be frequent. If I face cockroaches once in a while, like I currently do, almost never, my fear of cockroaches is still there. And uh, the reason for facing this fear is so that we can gain new information. Because remember, when we feel anxious, our mind goes through that worst-case scenario. For my mind, it goes, it's so disgusting, I just can't handle it. And um, understandable, but that overestimation of danger and the underestimation of my ability to cope is what keeps me avoiding. And, uh, and that avoidance, unfortunately, does not offer me new information about how it can be possible to maybe coexist with cockroaches. Okay. So... Um, yeah, just want to reiterate one more time, facing fear is hard work. We want to be kind and patient with ourselves. So good. So in that vein of facing fear and finding the, probably the courage to face our fears, uh, I wanted to ask both of you, I'll probably start with you, Marissa, uh, in your experience from our Christian faith tradition, uh, what have you noticed that has been particularly helpful to you and others? Uh, um, maybe you could put up the next slide with the scriptures. Um, yeah, when we were thinking about preparing for this talk, um, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 was one of the scriptures I was reflecting on. Um, and I always love, especially coming from ministry and going into mental health, when what I'm learning in school aligns with kind of what I've been taught from my faith tradition. Um, and I think two of the things that I want to highlight in these verses are the power of prayer and the power of gratitude. Um, and both of these things practiced as kind of life rhythms can go a long way in buffering us against kind of the, the suppression or overwhelm of anxiety. Um, so first off, um, prayer is kind of that opportunity that we have to come to the Lord and to kind of lay down the things that are burdening us, that are overwhelming us. Um, and actually research shows that kind of the mindfulness practice of prayer, the ability to be in the moment with God um, and the meditation aspect of it um, is actually building pathways in our brains that are going to kind of build our resiliency against stress and anxiety. Um, so it can be a really helpful practice to tune your brain to go instead towards um, gratitude and um, safety and security and love away from kind of that striving to prove all of our, our fears wrong. 
um, to succeed in all the ways that might be making us very overwhelmed and anxious. Um, and when it comes to gratitude, the research is similar. Um, the practice of looking around and being in the moment, um, what am I thankful for, um, is again bringing us back away from the fears of the future and those potential what-ifs. Um, and so building in kind of a practice of thanksgiving and gratitude can really help us to remind each of us that like our anxiety may be a part of our experience, may be a part of our lives. It's not everything. We are so much more um, than our anxious thoughts and our physiological response. Um, and there is beauty all around us. Um, and whether or not we can see it, it is there. Um, and we can, over time, start to practice kind of looking for the things that we are thankful for over and above all of the worries and fears that we have. Um, and again, that's like science says that that's building those neural pathways in our brains. We're going to be more likely to focus on the positives and see those things over time if this is a practice that we build into our lives. Um, Adrian mentioned kind of the car is running towards us. We're not going to be looking to the flowers, right, when there's a threat. Um, but when there isn't a threat, looking to the flowers in our lives and experiencing the goodness and the joy and having fun um, and actually experiencing those fully, like letting yourself be fully present in those things, um, is changing your brain and is changing the way that you live in a way that you are um, kind of moving towards this constant state of stress in your life. Um, so yeah, just want to encourage you to try to build kind of these practices of gratitude and prayer into your life. Um, whether you have clinical anxiety or not, they go a long way towards helping you kind of live in the presence of God in a way that you can let go of feeling like it's all on me all the time, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Adrian, anything you wanted to add on that bit? I guess just more speaking from my own personal life is that um, I find it's really helpful for me to remember, um, um, as I mentioned earlier, God's compassion for me, um, God's love for me, and that God doesn't judge me. Um, so um, it, it helps me to feel a little bit more um, at ease when I fumble and uh, when I make mistakes, uh, to know that um, even when I fail to be compassionate with myself, God is still compassionate towards me. Good. I thought it would be, yeah, worthwhile, even as we're starting to wrap up and learned so much this morning, maybe more than you can take in. I really hope there's a nugget that's like, oh, that was for me. And then I want you to hear that reflected in the words even of Jesus. I was just going to read, actually, the, this verse, one of my favorites, the very words of Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 11, where he says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I just love this sense that it's not like, oh, this is very complicated. Go deal with it and use maybe some of my principles. He's, no, come to me. I'm the God who doesn't leave you alone in whatever dark valley. You're in. I'm with you, and you can come to me, as we heard, through prayer, through gratitude, through practicing compassion for ourselves. That's part of us 
using his skills to come to him and he meets us in that dark valley and says, we're going to work through it together because it's probably not going to be overnight. It could be a while, but we are in this together. And then, Marissa, you, you mentioned the, um, the, the don't be anxious verse, the Philippians. I just sort of a pastoral note there. We can read that and says, oh, I felt anxious. I'm somehow disobeying. Don't. So it's not that, actually. It's when you're anxious, be a good way to translate it. Don't let yourself stop there. Don't let that be your stopping place. When you're anxious, instead, turn to prayer. And then, like you said, and the peace of Christ will transcend our hearts and our mind in Christ Jesus. That's what the word says. Um, Marissa. Can I jump in? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think the idea that... Um, we are called to not continue to be anxious um, is an invitation that we're not called to do alone. Um, But I think one of the things as I was preparing for this message that I really wanted to communicate and has been so transformative for me is that God and and Jesus are with us in the midst of our anxiety Um, and that he doesn't offer um, an explanation for anxiety as much as he offers us the incarnation, that God came and lived a human life, and in that, he declared that human life is good. He came and lived in a body, and in that, he claimed that our body is good. Um, I think sometimes in growing up in the church or in being um, in these communities, we can associate the body or the flesh with sin, and with badness. Um, and I think I've, I've experienced a lot of great healing in my life, realizing that that's not the case, that the body and the feelings and emotional human experience we have is good. Um, and it's a way that we can draw closer to God in our suffering. Um, I'm not saying that we need to live our life on a whim, or follow our feelings wherever they go, right? We talked about challenging those unhelpful thoughts um, and kind of grounding them in what is true. But at the same time, um, the incarnation tells us that we can trust our bodies and that they communicate to us in a way that is helpful. Um, And yeah, I'm not sure if I have time to share my poem. Is that okay? Um, As I was praying um, for this message, I came across a poem It's on the screen, but I can't see it super well, so I'm going to bring it up on my phone. Um, And this is um, written by a therapist um, and Christian that I follow on Instagram, and she is wonderful. She has been through many health struggles herself, Um, and this is her talking about her relationship with God. I'm going to read it for us. She says, can you stomach a savior who felt fear and stress? so acutely that sweat spilled like drops of blood from his skin. Does your theology include an incarnate God whose anxiety was so great it ruptured his blood vessels? If we cannot trace God in the most human fear, we won't get to see him drawing near. I will not allow myself to be less human than Christ. If we cannot be human, we cannot be upheld. And I think um, this really hit me because it reminds me that in our anxiety, we are invited to be with God, to be held by him. And he doesn't just look over from afar with sympathy, but he lived it. 
right? This is speaking of his experience in the garden um, before the cross. Um, and so he knows suffering, and he invites us to be held by him in the midst of it. Um, so instead of something to fight with, to battle, it's an invitation to more of him. Um, and so I wanted to kind of share this with you guys today um, as a reminder of that invitation we have. So good. Thank you for this call back to be human and to do that with the Lord's help. Maybe there is one last slide. People could take a photo if they want. It's, it's some resources that you've both put together. Uh, the Anxiety Canada website is a great one to go to. Um, and then I'm sure from there, many of these and other resources will be there. And so, want to say anything? I just want to really quickly mention, so I used to be the program director of Anxiety Canada, and um, um, they have a excellent free app called MindShift, and that's really great in helping dealing with different types of anxiety that show up in everyday life. Um, and uh, How We Feel is an app that I recently found and have um, recommended to many clients, and uh, um, it's a way to uh, help it's a, a developing collaboration between a Yale uh, professor and um, um, and the, the Pinterest uh, founder. Um, so the graphic is quite nice and pleasant. And it's a way to increase our uh, um, naming of emotions. And uh, we have to say, name it to tame it. Knowing how we feel can really help us to deal with how we feel. Um, and um, this app... Uh, helps with that so good the lord's even using apps to uh bring us to him to bring us to ourselves i'd like to uh close in a a short prayer before we have communion together let's pray thank you lord for the expertise given to us through our friends this morning and these truths communicated to us through your word we're all facing something today. Our world is facing many things, but may we hear your words ringing in our ears. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. I just want to pray that for each person present here today, that they would hear and respond in their way of come to me. They would come to themselves. They would come to you. Make us well over time, more and more well, more and more thriving, no matter what we continue to face. We want your help. We need your help, and we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, Let's give a round of applause.